All right. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for those of you who are online. I was excited to see that we were going to sing those songs. What I didn't expect is the emotion that they raised in me. Because I remember being taught those songs as a youngster in public school. And we were taught about a country that we were to love. About a country at its core was good. About a country that proclaimed liberty and stood for things historically that um, no other country had done. And to listen to these hymns that have been part of our history and to see their they're almost prayer-like in some ways, as, as, as the writers called us to remember God's good hand upon us. I was excited to hear we were going to sing them. No idea it would raise this emotion, and you'll understand why by the time we're done this morning. But glad you're here. I've read and heard that as people are coming out from the pandemic, this is setting records as far as people traveling. And some of them traveled from here to other places, as you can see. And happy for, for everyone who is able to be away and enjoy that time away. And uh, may God bless them as they have opportunity. Um, I would like to just, I want to update you on one thing. And uh, then we're just going to go. We're just going to go straight from there. I had the privilege, and I mean that seriously. I count it a privilege that God restored Lori's and my strength enough, and restored Ed Zahn's strength enough that I was able to drive down there and see her on Thursday. It was wonderful. You know we're praying for Edie because she has been placed into hospice care. And um, I was sure I would take no more than a half hour to 45 minutes. Connie, did she confess to you that I was longer than that? You hate me? Okay. I tell you, if she says he stayed too long, she kept insisting that the time frame I was striving for was not necessary. So, yeah. I'm sure I wore her out, but um, how delightful to see Edie again. And we had just, uh, to me, a very sweet time of fellowship, and, and uh, we were able to discuss very, she very much wanted to discuss funeral arrangements, what she's hoping for, what will happen, and um, it was just wonderful to see her. So as, as we pray, have been praying for Edie now that she's been placed into hospice, I just wanted you to know that I had a privilege of visiting with her. It was, it was wonderful. Then I got home the next day because there's no way I knew I could drive down there and back. And Connie had suggested, why don't you go up to Two Harbors and see your son? I didn't realize I was going to be that close to him. I was going to go see Connie, go to a hotel, and then go home. And it was a great idea. Thank you. And I got to see my son, his family, uh, celebrating a birthday party, came home the next day and died. <laughs> okay, I'm not completely 100% yet because it took everything out of me and I was even still feeling it come Saturday. But it's good. It was good. So with that, um, do you mind if we just go to prayer and then I wanna, we're going to go right into the Word. Is that okay? Father, thank you for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you that we live in a country where historically we've been able to sing of liberty. It's historically we have believed 
that this is a good place and that your grace has abounded to us. We have believed, Father. It can only, it can only sustain that way as we will continue to look to you and understand our need for you and understand that uh, we are under your direction and we are accountable to you. And Father, it concerns us by how we see little by little we're abandoning that. But I thank you personally for this chance to be brought back to my childhood when those things were simply understood across our nation, Lord. And um, I just pray that you will give us wisdom as a nation for our leaders, Lord, that, that we do not make the idea of we are contingent upon you or, or the end of a political speech, Father, but it is something that, as you would bring revival to our country, Father, that we truly go back to believing that we must know we are accountable to you and walk in ways of righteousness and goodness as you have defined them, Father, as they come from your very being. So, Lord, we ask you to do a work in our nation because we know we are flawed, we know we are hurting, and we know we are suffering from division. But thank you for this opportunity to, to be reminded. And then, Father, for those who are dealing with their various uh, sicknesses and illnesses, Lord, we pray for each one of them that your grace will abound. Thank you for the time to be with Edie and for her able to, being able to say yes, you're bringing peace to her even through these last days. As, uh, as we anticipate. So, Father, thank you that you are good. And now, as we consider some things together, I pray, Lord, that your grace will open up to us things that are significant, things that encourage us, things that draw us into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, last year, the 4th of July fell on a Saturday. And uh, I um, chose at that point, because our, uh, there were so many things going on in our country, I chose to um, do three Sundays, not that you would remember that, the Sunday, the weekend before, the weekend after, and then uh, the, of course, the weekend of the 4th of July, to do a series about, about our nation, things we were seeing, and just... <laughs> As, as continues to this day, what we were seeing, what was going on, on in our nation, was not only dividing us as a nation, what concerns me more is dividing us as a church. It really has been doing that. And um, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I don't think we need to be divided on it if we allow the Scriptures to speak to the issues at hand. But that was last week, I did those three Sundays, and then I did, if you will recall, we, we made available three Sunday nights that we could meet leading up to the election so people could talk openly about what they wanted without being critical of others. You could disagree with somebody, but we tried to set this thing to help people process the fact that we were in an election year in a very um, disturbed or uh, time, a chaotic time, let me put it that way. Well... And having done that, and particularly with the three Sundays that I preached, I found um, some thanked me very specifically. I got a call from somebody who's never called me before to thank me for that series, and others spanked me. They totally disagreed that I should be as, as straightforward and blunt with the things that I said, which, to this day, I don't think I spoke off base. I think the things I spoke were truth. 
Um, so people have different opinions, and that's, that, that's just what's happening within our country, and I, I find that uh, concerning. Well, today, because we've seen things and where they're going, I would like to, today, get ahead of two issues. Because we always seem to be caught flat-footed. We always seem to be like, oh, we've heard about this, and it's stirring, 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 and before we know it, we're way far behind of trying to recover from it. I have seen that happen repeatedly, it appears to me. So here are the two issues that I would like to get ahead on. And they both relate to the flag, which you see has been moved into a more prominent position than it typically is. First of all, I would like to get ahead of any movement. Oh, by the way, I have read, and I, and I could put names to the people who are promoting this. I don't want to, though, because I don't want it to be about the people. I want this to be about an idea that we are holding to. So you will not hear me reference the people who are promoting it. Uh, but I would like to get ahead of two issues. One, any movement to change the flag other than to accommodate new states as is already provided for in the Constitution. So there's discussion. Uh, that discussion has been out there long before most recently because when we first met our future son-in-law, which would have been about four years ago now, I recall the question was in the discussion then, will Puerto Rico become a state or not? Because he asked me, about that because our son-in-law is from Puerto Rico. So we have a constitution that has that uh, as such or a, a protocols for our flag. I don't recall if it's actually in the constitution, but um, that the flag gets stars added for each state. Okay, there are ways that are in place to change the flag, but what I'm suggesting is that we don't change the flag in its very essence and in what it, what it suggests because uh, there are people who are, who have, that it needs a, 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 um, an overhaul because not everybody can identify with it. And they're talking about color changes that are being brought into it. And I'm like, hello, is there any flag more beautiful than the United States flag? Any flag that has stood for more significant things than the United States? Why would we change the color scheme? Well, that's so we could be more inclusive for some people who, honestly, I hope you'll see, have bought into a a narrative that's not true, and somehow we're supposed to become more inclusive for them. I'm not buying it. So if you'll allow me, the first thing is to uh, get ahead of, because it's just in its infancy, the discussions that would change our flag. First, I want, as we talk about the flag, I just want to just give you a little bit on the history. For more than 200 years, the American flag has been the symbol of our nation's strength and unity. It's been a source of pride and inspiration for millions of citizens. It's been a prominent icon in our national history. Here are some highlights, and I'm not going to give you all of them. I have so much I could be reading to you. I hope we can get done on that. On January 1st, 1776, the Continental Army was reorganized in accordance with a congressional resolution which placed American forces under George Washington's control. So if you think January 1st, 1776, this is before the first 4th of July. That isn't going to happen for another number of months. On that New Year's Day, the Continental Army was laying siege to Boston, which had been taken over by the British Army. Washington ordered the Grand Union flag hoisted above his base at Prospect Hill. It had 13 alternate red and white stripes 
and the British Union Jack in the upper left-hand corner. So there was a flag. It had the stripes on it. And here's a start to the whole history. In May of 1776, Betsy Ross reported that she sewed the first American flag. On June 14, 1777, in order to establish an official flag for the new nation, the Continental Congress passed the first Flag Act, resolved that the flag of the United States be made of 13 stripes, alternate red and white, that the Union be 13 stars, white in a blue field, representing a new constellation. Now you were, well, Melissa, you maybe weren't, but I was taught as a young child in a system that loved our country about the 13 stripes and the 13 stars standing for the first 13 colonies. That was just understood and representing, as was written, a new constellation. Something has been born here. Something good. How magnificent is that? Between 1777 and 1960, Congress passed several acts that changed the shape, design, and arrangement of the flag and allowed for additional stars and stripes to be added to reflect the admission of each new state. I've already talked about that. But I knew that as a young child also, that that was what our flag was about. Now, let me just finish a concluding remark here rather than go through every date of something that happened. Today, the flag consists of 13 horizontal stripes, seven red alternating with six white. The stripes represent the original 13 colonies. The stars represent the 50 states of the Union. The colors of the flag are symbolic as well. Red symbolizes hardiness and valor. White symbolizes purity and innocence. And blue represents vigilance, perseverance, and justice. Will you please notice that in the significance of the coloration of the flag, Ours, I truly believe, is most beautiful among all the nations. The colorations have nothing to do with the question of race. It's not there. Just please pay attention to that. So that's the first thing that I'm asking us to consider today. That we resist any movement to change the flag. The second is any movement to change the national anthem. We are being told now that the national anthem is actually racist because of a reference in the third stanza. And as, as we are not well trained and taught in history, as perhaps we should be to celebrate our history, um, there's maybe something we need to hear about that. So... Got another little something to read now. Now we're talking about the anthem, which of course is called what? The Star Spangled Banner. The anthem itself is about the flag. So that's why this is here. On September 14, 1814, Francis Scott Key penned the Star Spangled Banner. Set to the British tune to Anacreon in Heaven, the Star Spangled Banner is inarguably one of the most difficult national anthems to sing. The backdrop of the song was the British attack on Baltimore during the War of 1812. Key had been sent to negotiate a prisoner release 
and boarded the British flagship HMS Tonnant. During the negotiations with British Vice Admiral Alexander Cochrane, he overheard the war plans. Consequently, the British held Key captive until after the assault on Fort McHenry, forcing him to stay on the HMS Surprise until the attack had been completed on September 14th. So he was being held captive um, during this time on a British ship during this attack. Got that? Through the night, Key watched the British bombard Fort McHenry, and as the sun rose, he saw the American flag still flying over the fort. In fact, the Americans had replaced a smaller flag with a much larger one. As, with the Nazis, much other. The smoke cleared overnight from the fort. There, flying at sunrise, was Old Glory. Then, fifteen stars and stripes. It had changed some because there had been a couple of states that had been added. Key was moved to pen his poem, which he first named Defense of Fort McHenry. It was later called the Star-Spangled Banner and became immensely popular in the New Republic. It began to be played regularly at Independence Day celebrations. In 1899, the U.S. Navy began playing it, and President Woodrow Wilson, in 1916, ordered it regularly played by the military. In 1918, during the first World Series, the anthem became a fixture of baseball. You remember that game, don't you, Bob? He's going to tell us he was there, I'm sure. And who won? All right. In, in 1930, this is why I'm reading this account. In 1930, the veterans of foreign wars started a petition to recognize it as our national anthem. It became just that on March 4th, 1931. In 1956, Congress embraced the fourth verse of Key's poem and adopted In God We Trust as our national motto. Key's poem is about the attack on Baltimore and the battle of Fort McHenry. He was, uh, oh, I'm sorry, this, this goes on to say, let's see, uh, I passed the part where the person raises concern that that the third verse speaks about slavery, okay? And that's because I don't want to name anybody. That's why I jumped over that. Key's poem is about the attack on Baltimore and the battle at Fort McHenry. He was not alluding to or mentioning African slaves in the United States. At that time, see, this is where we need to understand history. We need to understand some context. At the time, the American Navy and military prided itself on being a volunteer service. The founders of the country were fearful of a standing army and embraced the concept of a volunteer service. Key stood on the deck of the HMS Surprise, a captive of the British, and watched the volunteer Americans fight off the fiercest empire on the planet. The British Navy, at the enlisted level, consisted, this is in contrast to the American uh, fighters, the, uh, the British Navy at the enlisted level consisted of hired mercenaries and sailors imprisoned against their will and forced to fight in the service of the British. Imprisoned against their will and forced to fight in the service of the British. These impressed sailors are the slaves key referenced. Modern progressive historians have twisted the truth. The fact and actual truth, not any truth, not, not my truth or your truth, but the actual truth is that Francis Scott Key's entire third verse, verse 
is about the British Navy. It is common now to hear claims that key reference slaves and that the reference is about chattel slavery. It is foolish anti-American revisionism and ignorance to make that claim. It is devoid of both the historic context and actual truth. His poem stands the test of time and concludes beautifully with a fourth verse. Oh, thus be it ever when free men shall stand between their loved homes and the war's desolation. Blessed with victory and peace, may the heaven, a heaven-rescued land praise the power that made and preserved us a nation. Then conquer we must when our cause is just. And this be our motto, in God is our trust. And the star-spangled banner in triumph shall wave for the land of the free and the home of the brave. Friends, if you're catching what I'm getting at, you realize I'm saying we need to keep the flag as we know it, other than the changes that are prescribed. We need to keep the national anthem, which is about the history of the flag in a particular war against the British and has been embraced by our nation since then. That's what I'm trying to get at. Now, let's spend a little time with the word on that. First, we need to keep the anthem, the flag and the anthem to foster unity. In Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes this. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Do you see what he says there? It's a fascinating parallel to what we're watching in our nation today. He says to note and avoid those who are causing divisions contrary to what he and the other apostles have been teaching, contrary to the doctrine that is true. You see, that's exactly what's happening in our day and age. Because we're not as informed on history as maybe we should be, whether it's about the anthem or whether it's about the flag, we are seeing contrary doctrines creep in as to what they are about. And what I find interesting, you know, as Paul says, for those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not talking about the gospel here. I understand that. But we are talking about something that has been agreed upon and that we know what the truth is. And we're talking about that. And now there are those who are going to come and try and tell a different story about it. But what I find interesting, he says that those who they're on a different they're on a different path. They have a different end in mind. They're moving in a different direction. He says they do not serve the end that God would have, the Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. He's saying there are people who are just lying about the gospel. They're simply outright lying 
about what the gospel is, what Paul has been proclaiming, because they have their own agenda and they're in their own self-serving mode. And who do they, who are they able to scoop up with flattering words and uh, smooth words and flattering speech? Who is it they can gather into that? The simple. They deceive the hearts of the simple. Those who don't know any better. So we live in a time when we perhaps don't understand the history that is behind all of this. We've missed it somehow. And so now others are having free reign to come in, twist the story, twist the history, and stir everybody up as to how terrible these things are when they are not. What I'm suggesting today is we need to be careful that it doesn't just keep moving in that direction. See, Paul says to note those who cause divisions and avoid them. Unity will never be reached by those who constantly push a division. And that's exactly what's being pushed in these things that challenge the flag and challenge the anthem. They're pushing a division and separating us from one another. And we even feel it within the church. That saddens me and it frightens me. In this one particular article that, uh, that I came across, what a delightful surprise. I just learned of this book two days ago. And it struck me how it parallels the passage that I had already suggested. There's a new book called, and I intend to get it, and when I'm done with it, if you want to borrow it, you're welcome to borrow it. Red, White, and Black. Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Racists. Or, excuse me, not Revisionists racists, from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. I'm sorry, Race Hustlers. That's the subtitle. Rescuing American History from Revisionists and Race Hustlers. What do Revisionists do? They come with, they come with a doctrine, with a history that's contrary as Paul said, to the doctrine which you've learned. We could just equate that parallels contrary to the history we know to be true. The revisionists come in, tell you something different over what's reality. And rescuing American history from revisionists and race hustlers. Does that sound like people who serve their own belly? They have self-serving means in mind by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple, you go back to when slavery was ended and you can find significant black leaders who were calling out then among the black community those who were immediately using race as a means to divide, using race as a means to better themselves when it wasn't in reality the thing that was happening. They, we were calling them out then. Nothing has changed. Now, you may very well be thinking, well, okay, so you got some white author who's writing this kind of stuff. Maybe I shouldn't believe that. Maybe I should call it into question. But here's what I found intriguing about the book. The first paragraph describing it says this, It's beautiful to be black and patriotic. That's the message of a recently published book, Red, White, and Black, a collection of essays Notice this, written by, all minority by almost all minority contributors and edited by Robert Woodson. One white 
contributor in all of it. In fact, it might be summed up best by contributor Clarence Page, a black liberal journalist. Black patriotism is more important than victimization. Interesting, isn't it? That the minorities are the ones who are saying, wait a second, there's a story being told. It's revisionist and it's race hustling and we're going to lose as a nation on that because there are people who love this nation from every, of every color. Of every color. You need to know that. And you need to make yourself aware of who they are and you need to read them and listen to them because it will help keep you on track and not fall victim to this division that is being forced upon us. And when you see those who want to force the division, you'll be able to say, ah, it's not how it is. Everybody is not thinking this way. And that's important. Now, I thought it very intriguing that here's one just brief, one brief statement I'll stay with. Political scientist Carol Swain, minority, explains why she's thankful to have never been, here's a quote, taught to hate white people or to hate America. She's thankful for this. She's lived by, how interesting is this, New Testament principles instead of by the left's dogma of hatred, bitterness, and distrust. Wow. She was not living contrary to the doctrine of Christ. That, in fact, it was the doctrine of Christ that kept her balanced and in the right place. That she's thankful that she hasn't been raised on hate. You want to read that book too? I'm excited to get it. See what, it, see what these writers had to say. Note those causing, who are causing division among you and avoid them, Paul says. Don't give these concepts about the flag and the anthem a footing. Don't let it get ahead of you. See, that's my concern is that this stuff is going to develop a long way down the road before we finally say, hey, wait, what is this thing happening out here? I'm trying to alert you to right now. So we need to keep the flag and the anthem, one, to foster unity. Because we will be unified if we keep a biblical perspective in front of us. If we understand that my Latino brother or sister and my black brother or sister and my Asian brother or sister are every, but, every bit as much of the body of Christ as each one of us who are sitting here loved by God. We're going to spend eternity with them. And uh, God calls us to love them. Because we are all, and we'll touch on this as we go through the book of Romans, because we are all, every one of us, children of Adam. How it is. And we need to constantly remind ourselves of that because this stuff that's tearing apart our country and causing division, it can take over our own thinking as believers, but we've got to let the Word fill our thinking on this. So that's number one. We're going to keep the flag and the anthem to foster unity. We're going to keep the flag and the anthem as a firewall. What I'm suggesting is it's time to say, oh, well, we see this out there a little ways. In fact, just today, Cruiser was telling me about, um, there he is. There they are right there. And uh, you were describing however long ago it was some people who had gotten sick and didn't even know about a virus yet. And pretty clear that that's what was there. 
Well, that's about where these things are at right now, friends. There's some people who have a virus, and they want to intentionally spread that virus until it's taking a serious toll. So we need to create a firewall. I'm asking you to pay attention to this, to speak against it, to be aware of the history, to have something to say. If somebody raises these questions, go, hang on, <laughs> hang on. We've got we to get a little more balance here. We keep the flag and the anthem as a firewall. Now, I want to bring two scriptures to bear upon this, both from the book of Proverbs. Hell, or Proverbs 27.20 20. Hell and destruction are never full. Interesting observation, isn't it? So the eyes of man are never satisfied. You know, there's always, it's always going to keep going. And then Proverbs 30.15 and 16 is similar. A little more colorful. The leech has two daughters. Give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Four never say enough. And that's a stylistic way of saying that. You'll find it in other places in the Proverbs. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not satisfied with water, and the fire never says enough. Each of these things keeps moving in the direction they're going. Never satisfied. Like the eyes of man. Never satisfied when hell and destruction are in his view. Friends, there are some things that are happening right in front of us that will never be satisfied. If we give the country over to false history, the people pushing the narrative will not stop with the flag and the anthem. There it is out there for you. The people pushing the narrative will not stop with the flag and the anthem. Oh, they need to be changed now. They will dismantle everything until they have remade the country into their own version of utopia. And that never works. You give them the opportunity. It'll work great for them. Because the people who are pushing for the utopias, they expect to be running it. And once they're in charge running it, they will crush the masses. How many times has it happened in history already? Well, we're thankful for the people who fight for liberty. Now, again, some of you are not old enough to remember this, but I am. So what you grew up with, you think that's normal. These discussions, they're not. Or they haven't been in the history of our nation. Let me put it that way. And I'm going to give you one illustration of something that Never enough. That it'll always be pushed and pushed and pushed. So now we have this question. The Olympics. Of supposedly transgendered males competing against biological females. How did we get here? In the day in which I was growing up, I'm not saying it was good. I'm saying this is the day. I'm not saying we should go back to it. I'm saying this was the day. I want you to see the progression. In the days in which I was growing up, I don't recall one discussion having anything to do with sexual orientation being had among my parents, within my family. And you've got to understand, when my family gets together, and we get all these Italians from my mom's side of the family together, they discuss. They get into arguments. They've got this idea and that idea. and they, 
talking politics, whatever is out there, never once do I recall this topic being a part of polite discussion. So, there came along a, just a couple decades ago. We're, okay, just a couple decades. So, yeah, oh, that's a storm. Mm, you don't remember this. But there was this thing that we should be pushing for same-sex marriage. Now, what, was the, what were we trying to accomplish? Do any, any of you remember these? Because I know there were two arguments that were made that seemed to, they actually seemed to make logical sense to me. Number one, if I'm not suggesting that it's good and I'm not for it, don't get me wrong. But I also don't think you're going to stop it, per se. So the people who were engaged in it, some for many years, they have this partner who, when they're dying of AIDS, they can't go see them because they're not family. Yet, they've been together maybe a decade or two. And they can't do this now. That was one thing that seemed like, well, that doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense. The other thing, we need to punish them. The other thing was when it came to things like taxation, you know, how, you, how you structure your finances. They couldn't put them together because they could not be married. These were the arguments that we were having. It seemed to me that there was a very... I always have simple solutions for these. You know, if the politicians would ever call me, I got it, I got it figured out, guys. It seemed to me that some type of legal arrangement could be made to answer the question of being in the hospitals and how you file taxes, that there's some type of legal covenant, and it seems to me you could keep that separate from marriage. But no, we see we had to redefine marriage. And that's where I'm like, I can't believe we're doing this. For all the centuries of mankind, God has defined marriage between a man and a woman. And somehow, we are going to change that? That makes no sense to me. And it's a thumb in the eye of God, and we'll discuss that a little bit more as time goes on. That's what was at play. Now what's at play? It has been pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And now you're getting curriculum put in front of children that deal with questions of LGBTQ. What are we doing to these kids? Have you ever noticed, friends, it's always the children who pay the price for the illicit liberties that adults want to have. And the children pay the price. And I, my heart breaks for children who are having this thrust in front of them to be, and are being told it's normal. It's chaos. It's chaos. Had somebody, I met somebody this past week. They were considering buying the church, uh, the church bus and uh, mentioned that they homeschool five wonderful little kids at homeschool. And I just asked, can I ask you a question? Why did you decide to homeschool your kids? And the answer was, mom said, I didn't want to homeschool my kids. I didn't want to. I was praying for a way out of it. Asking the Lord to give me some other kind of an option. Or to confirm to me that I'm supposed to do. He said, but she said, but we had to build a solid moral underpinning in our children's lives. And it wasn't going to happen in the public school with what's being foisted on them now. Huh. Interesting, isn't it? My son and his wife are going through the same discussion. Why didn't it just stop with, okay, we have this legal covenant. 
And now we've had all these other things that have exploded into our public discussions. That's what's going to happen. That same kind of progression. Remember, hell and destruction. What did the scripture say about hell and destruction? They never say enough. Right? That is what uh, that is what's going to happen. These things will, you getting me? They will continue to move forward on the evil path that is being twisted and placed into the simple people's minds and being told this, which is not true. They're not going to stop saying, hey, we made it, we finally arrived. Forget about it. Now we have this craziness of transgendered athletes, men competing against women. That would never have gone a one teeny tiny step when I was a child. And now we've got to try and figure that out because hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of man are never satisfied. And we give way on the flag, and we give way on the national anthem. And we say, oh, and it catches us by surprise. Oh, I guess that's got to go. No, it does not. And it's time for people who love our nation to stand up and say, don't touch them. That's what I'm going with. So, I'd like to suggest we keep the flag for this very simple reason. It is what patriots have fought and died under. One article that I had read, it suggested watching the book, the movie Glory, and I'd happened to have recorded it. I just never got around to watching it. And um, it was interesting to see because... Uh, it tells the story of the first of the 54th and 55th infantry divisions of Massachusetts, and they were all black. And they're the first black armies that were raised. And they proved that they could hold up well in battle. And this one writer accounts the story of William Carney. He said, You probably never heard of it. These black young people, of him rather, these black young people have never heard of him. Nobody has, because we don't teach history anymore. But in the attack, and, and if you guys want to watch Glory, this you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. The attack on uh, Fort Wagner uh, was in 1863, um, and it says, eight, well, no, at that time frame. In 1863, Carney, at age 23, joined a local militia and became part of the all-black Company C of the 54th Massachusetts Infantry, Infantry Regiment. By the way, his family was a slave family. His dad escaped through the Underground Railroad, found freedom in the North, earned enough money to buy his family out of slavery. So th this is where he was at in that. And then he signed up to be a part of this 54th Massachusetts Infantry Regiment. Um, let me see. During the bloody battle of Fort Wagner in Charleston, by the way, which we never won that battle. The Britons held on to the fort. During the bloody battle of Fort Wagner in Charleston, South Carolina, in 1863, Kearney saw that the soldier carrying the 54th Regiment colors had been wounded. He left his position. This is Kearney. A black former slave. Think about this. What he knew he was fighting for. He left his position and ran into the thick of the fighting to save the American flag from being captured or hitting the ground. 
which was something they cared about deeply in those days. Despite being hit four times by bullets, Carney was able to bring the U.S. flag safely to Union lines where he collapsed. It took 40 years for Carney's battlefields heroics to be awarded, but in 1900, he was awarded the Medal of Honor in Boston. And when asked about it, he said, as do patriotic veterans all over, I was just doing my duty. This flag is what a freed slave put his life at risk to make sure that it would not fall. And we have people now trying to tell us how it's, it's rife with racism in it. What about the blacks who died for it, believed in what it stood for? Can you respect them and say, wait, this is maybe a part of our history we ought not quickly abandon Instead, we ought to teach and get the narrative correct. But we keep the flag because it is what patriots have fought and died under. Don't corrupt the history. Instead, adjust yourself to it. See, the person who's pushing for changing the flag says it doesn't represent all of us, some feel like it hasn't stood for, for what we need. And I, and I find myself saying, it does represent you. There's a star for whatever state you live in. Your state isn't perfect, neither is mine. But it does represent you. You can make something of it that's not there, but I suggest let's not let that happen. Not perfect by any means. But I think we need the reminder, and I'll be finishing up here shortly. I think we need the reminder that we're not there anymore either. What people want to say, you know, that we're, they're trying to tell us that we are rooted in slavery. That's just not true. And everything was designed to perpetuate that. But the flag also reminds us that we're not there anymore. Now, how do you know we're not there anymore? Again, I'd like to just throw something out, and I've probably said it before. I find this to be one of the most frustrating things as an American that we have to deal with. Because we are a people who love all people. And we are a people, I don't know anybody who doesn't celebrate um, uh, new people becoming citizens legally. I don't know anybody who doesn't like that. I did what I could. To help Obi, some of you will remember Obi from Nigeria, to help him and his wife come over here, take up citizenship. We celebrated with him when his wife arrived. We celebrated their citizenship. I say we because of the people who we were circling with at that time uh, who knew Obi. We celebrate this. But what I struggle with is somebody we have right here in Minnesota, we have a representative here in Minnesota who is an immigrant from a war-torn Muslim country. She now sits in the halls of power in Congress and has the nerve to tell us that the liberty that we have given her must be dismantled. We have to dismantle. Everything here is terrible. And I'm thinking, how do you do that? 
How do you possibly continue to push such a narrative? We opened our doors to you. You became a legislator. But you know what, just in, in just her presence, here's what it tells me, okay? Somebody who was black was not going to be put in the legislature at the founding of our nation. That wasn't going to happen. Nor was a woman. Remember how the women fought for suffrage? But we have a black woman, naturalized citizen, whom we have said, take the liberty to represent your area. That's what we stand for. And now she uses her position to speak against us. Sorry, I really struggle with that. I really struggle with that. I'd like to, I'd like to just make one, one last point, and I'll be done. I know I've talked a long time. I want to keep the anthem. We've talked about keeping the flag. I want to talk about why we keep the anthem. Because in 1930, it was requested by the VFW to become our anthem. It was requested by those who fought on foreign fields. We have people here today, I, I, with the lights, hard, hard to, for me to see everybody. But I know that we have Arnold, I believe you were in Korea, just correct? Were you in Korea? No, it was Johnny Rosen was in Korea. Can you, what was your field in which you were deployed, Arnold? Where were you deployed in the military? Philippines, okay. So Arnold was under that flag in the Philippines. Tracy, Afghanistan, was under the flag in Afghanistan. David Lockstead, there he is. David Lockstead was under that flag in Vietnam. That flag, you following me? That flag, where they were standing for liberty. Anyone else here who you'd say, I, yeah, I was deployed. Gene, did you do foreign service? Germany, okay, there we are. And if anybody else you want to raise your hand, say count me in there, because I too was deployed under that flag. Why are we going to throw it out? Why are we going to throw out the anthem? that those who were deployed under that flag have asked to be our anthem. They were willing to put their lives on the line. How would we do that? For a false narrative. For those who would deceive the simple for their own personal gain. A frightening thought, friends, but the parallel is there with that scripture. And I'm asking us today to say, I want to be aware of this discussion on the flag and the anthem, and every chance I have, I'm going to say, no, well, I'm, I'm not for changing them. If that means writing the senators, if that means writing the congressmen, but getting ahead of this one, I say, right now, it's just this little thing trickling back there, but if we do not stand before we know it, it's gone through and we're behind the eight ball again. Friends, I hope you have a wonderful 4th of July. We have an incredibly great nation worthy of celebration. 
Perfect? Absolutely not. You know what else? I don't know one person. I don't know one person. Well, I hear it said, the only modern day person I know collect, that was connected to slavery as far as families owning slaves was Kamala Harris. I've heard that twice now. I don't know how, to, I haven't checked if that's true. That's the only person I know in this day and age directly connected to slavery. But more than that, I don't know one person. And I bet you don't either. We'll look at slavery in our nation and say that was a good thing. Oh yeah, that was wonderful. You don't know anybody who thinks I don't either, because we understand, yeah, that is not the best of what we are. But we're not that anymore. 150 years ago that we got rid of that. The cost of many lives. So as you enjoy the day, enjoy the fact that we are free still. And be willing to take a stand for that freedom as represented in the anthem and in the flag. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that there, I know I've spoken difficult words. I know I've been very direct. And I'm guessing there are people who would be very upset by what I said. But Lord, you've given us an amazing country. And those who fought and died for liberty, they must not be forgotten. And their stories must not be twisted. And we must not give in to those who are revisionists and race hustlers, Lord. We need to let the truth of how you have worked fill our spirits and of your goodness towards us. And Father, we need a repentance that as a nation where we have gone very far astray in things that as they relate directly to you and standards that you have set and we have violated. Lord, may we, may we repent of that. Pray for a fresh movement of your spirit across our nation, Father. And it will bring us back to you so that when we saying, God bless America. We can sing it because you are free to bless us because we've returned to you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.